Hello and welcome to Retrospection, a podcast in which we take an old TV show and film and see if it should remain in our orbit or be blasted out into space. My name's Colin and how can you value life if you do not fear death? And I'm Paul and computer, it's going up! In this episode, we're looking at Sylvia and Jerry Anderson's Space 1999, the follow-up to UFO. Apparently, it was supposed to be another season of UFO, wasn't it? Mm, Yeah, most of the pre-production designs in this were for originally UFO. Were the aliens blasted um, the They were just blasted, yeah. Yeah, they were blasted. A bit like us. (laughs) What are you talking about? Yeah, they blasted the moon out of orbit, didn't they? Which was UFO's secret base or something. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But Could have been interesting. Could have been, yeah. I wonder why they changed it. Because uh, Space 1990... Wait, no, UFO was a flop, eventually. It started off well, and then ratings went down. A bit like this. Uh, exactly like Space 1999, yeah. Okay. Seems to be yeah. a common theme with Anderson shows. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, this one is... Uh, Sylvia and Jerry Anson, of course, Sylvia doesn't really get much credit, but when the two of them were together, we got Fireball XL5, Stingray, Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, Joe 90, UFO, and Space 1999. When Jerry went on his own, we got Space Precinct. <laughs> I'm just saying. My mother-in-law likes that show, you know? I'm just saying. She, she, <laughs> she bought a figure. Oh, really? An action figure. Oh. She said, oh, maybe I'll keep it in the packaging. It'll be worth something one day. Whoa. No, it won't. It won't. <laughs> Rip that packaging open. <laughs> put that figure on. Di- well, don't put it on display. Nobody would know what it was, so it wouldn't matter. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Our Space 1999 stars Martin Landau as Commander John Koenig. Barbara Bain as Dr. Helena Russell. Nick Tate as Alan Carter. Xenia Merton as Sandra Benez and Barry Moss as Professor Victor Bergman. There's quite a lot of other people, but can't list them all. And there's a big change in cast between the first and second season, which mm-hmm. saw the show lose a few people and gain some new ones, like Catherine Schell as mayor. And Barbara Bain and uh, Martin Lando were, were married when they did this as well. They were, they were. And they did you know they had a deal where each of them had to have equal screen time in every episode? That explains a lot, actually, looking at the episodes. Imagine trying to write that. I did read that apparently they were both very difficult yeah. to work with. Yeah, and it kind of comes across on screen, I think. It doesn't come yeah. across very likable, does he? Well, um, he just seems to be angry all the time. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and And she seems to feel the need to whisper every line of dialogue that she says. Yes. Oh, don't start. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, apparently she she was the uh, the harder of the two to uh, please. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. She had a lot of notable guest stars: uh, Ian McShane, Brian Blessed, who we'll see later, Christopher Lee, Joan Collins, Peter Cushing, and a lot of other faces familiar to British TV at the time. Yeah, there's a couple in the episodes we're going to talk about, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, changes to the second season caused problems, including the cast complaining of the poor quality of the scripts. Yeah, it was um, Fred Freiberger who um, was notorious for taking over season three of uh, Star Trek, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. And we all know what a great job he did on that. So. 
yeah, I mean, there seems to be a difference of opinion. The cast of Star Trek always said that he was he did well under trying circumstances. I'm not sure the cast of Space 1999 say the same thing about him. Well, but... All the fans, apparently he was booed off stage at a convention in um, 2000. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, we can only hope to be booed off stage. If someone invited us on stage, that would be something, wouldn't it? Just to be booed. Just to be booed, I'll take that. Yeah? Yeah. Do you have anything else? Any other more info? Um, did you see the little fact that Stanley Kubrick was a bit uh, peeved at this show? I didn't know he was peeved. Why? Because it borrowed... Yeah, apparently he threatened legal action at the time, saying that the show borrowed too much from 2001. Oh. In, in terms of the look. And I can understand that, particularly in the first season and the first episode that we're going to talk about. The opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very 2001, isn't it? It is, yeah. Without the budget. Uh, September 13th, the year, the, the, the date that um, the moon base crashes out of orbit, is actually Barbara Bain's birthday. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So we already can see, uh, you know, influences going on there. Yeah. yeah. Um, the special effects supervisor, Brian Johnson, was asked to do the effects on Star Wars A New Hope, but uh, couldn't do it because he was tied to this show. Oh. You confused I'm... me by calling it Star Wars A New Hope. We should just say Star Wars, shouldn't we? I know, really. That threw me off then for a second. Yeah. I was like, I bet wait, he, uh, was that uh, one of the new prequels? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll bet he was um, happy about that, though. Yeah. In yeah. A long... And oh. so was the guy hooting his horn. He, he approved that as he well. He did, yeah. But he, he did eventually work on um, uh, Empire Strikes Back. So he did kind of get involved in Star Wars eventually. Yeah, that's true. And that's, you know, better film. Uh, at the time, this was apparently the most expensive produced show on British TV as well. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, you can see you can see where the money is, especially in this first episode we're going to talk about, can't you? Yeah, making Martin Landau smile. <laughs> well, funnily enough, Martin Landau turned down Spock, didn't he? Oh, I didn't know that either. Wow. Yeah, he was originally the first actor to be offered Spock, and he turned it down. I can't see him being Spock. He's too emotional and angry. An angry Spock? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. That's never going to happen, is it? No. <laughs> um, did you um, read that there were lots of novelizations of episodes that were produced at the time? Yes. Yes, I did. Quite a few, actually. Yeah, um, and apparently some of the unused scripts from season one were also turned into original novels. Oh, nice. Should get them sometime. We should. Sorry. We have a look at those. Yeah. Apparently, Freiberger decided to um, make all the changes that he did in season two after just watching eight episodes of season one. Well, that's enough to get an opinion, right? <laughs> we wouldn't. We wouldn't even watch eight, would we? No, no, three, and be like, "Yeah, I know what you need to change here," <laughs> because you know we we know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show was um, backed extensively by Italian TV, but unfortunately, it bombed over there. Oh, that's a shame. I guess that's why all the costumes and the the props are Italian. And there's a lot of Italian um, bit part players in it who are dubbed into English. Yes, yes, I noticed mm -hmm. that, yeah. Uh, some of the episodes were also adapted into audio dramas for children on uh, LP. Oh, nice. But apparently they messed around with the plots quite badly. Well, to make to make them fit. To make them fit and to yeah. make them more kid-friendly. Okay. Um, Barry Morse didn't get along with Jerry Anson very much either. Oh, 
Apparently, disliked that production meetings concentrated more on what clothing people were going to be wearing rather than character development. Oh, okay. I can see that. <laughs> that would be annoying. <laughs> and uh, that's it. That's all I've got. Well, Which was, I, I, I did my work this week, didn't you I? You did, you did. I just let you run with that. Yeah. I mean, after the show was cancelled, they did compile four feature films made by editing episodes together. And these were intended for foreign theatrical release, and some even had new footage, although not featuring the main cast. So, before we start, here's the trailer for one of those films, Destination Moonbase Alpha. The moon has become a vast, complex space station. Suddenly. Frightened. Blasted out of Earth orbit. Destined to journey forever deeper and deeper into the unknown. Destination Moon Base Alpha, an epic adventure across the universe to experiences beyond the imagination of any Earth-bound human. Sensors pick up configuration of a spaceship. Heading. Directly at us. Arm all lasers! Destroy the alien ship! Nothing is impossible in the vast, uncharted dimensions of hyperspace. Where reality and illusion are the weapons. Tony! Guido! Tony! It means we can travel anywhere in the universe now. They're really here. Yeah. How we can get back to Earth. Yes! <laughs> Where human force and alien intelligence are the combatants. Two aliens have been dispatched for the nuclear trigger. Once they energize it, we will take our fill. All the alien creatures will die. Where human extinction on Moon Base Alpha may be seconds away. Now I remember that that um, I used to have it on uh, video back in the eighties. I don't think the guy doing the trailer seen the film. <laughs> what is he talking about hyperspace for? <laughs> He's just giving a script and he's reading it. I guess so. He's just going it's kinda, over it. It's kind of what I do. You give me all everything I say is given to me by you. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. I write all these lines, not just on the podcast, in life generally. You do. You do. Yeah. That's why I, it's going I dry so up well all the time. For you. <laughs> I, I'm winning. Yeah, you're a winner. <laughs> I am a winner. A yeah. wiener. Hey, so we're gonna do the pilot episode. And then we're going right. to do the first episode of the second season. Mm-hmm. Joy. Yes. <laughs> so here we go. A herb twinkles, and we see a majestic celestial ballet as the moon passes in front of the earth. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that took me by surprise, then. Okay, well, I'll on, go with it. On-screen text says, the dark side of the moon. Pink Floyd. I knew you were going to do that. I know. I got That's it in, you did in it. my notes. It says, insert Paul yelling Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> September the 9th, 1999. The future. Yep, far off in the future. 
Do you remember when 1999 felt like the future? No, I'm not as old as you. <laughs> yeah, keep telling yourself that. No, but you know, you know when we were kids and we used to watch this, and we think, oh, it's never gonna, we're never going to see 1999. We're going to have flying cars by then. That's true. That's true. Where are they, Paul? Where are those flying cars? <sighs> One of the many lies. We close up on a building on the moon called Nuclear Waste Disposal Area 2. A vehicle driven by two astronauts called Nordstrom and Steiner approach the area. They open a laser barrier and report back to moon base. Dr. Russell and Dr. Bergman are watching them on the monitors as the astronauts begin a manual check that was ordered by Russell on the radiation seals. Bergman's got some uh, great sideburns going on, hasn't he? Yeah, I'm kind of going for that, I think, in the future. That's my new look. I, I've got the herd. I could do, if I grew it out a little bit, I could do the crazy hair, couldn't I? <laughs> Don't squint. Wait, are you there talking is... about your nasal hair? <laughs> carry on, carry on. Dr. Russell contacts an eagle. Now, we should point out that eagles are the spacecraft that they use on moon base. A flight actually mm -hmm. flies to the Earth and the moon and everywhere. And they're gorgeous, aren't they? They are a great design. Uh, they're nice because they can change them to whatever they want because they have like a cargo area in the middle that can switch out to whatever uh, needs they have. Yeah. We see, we see that a lot, don't we, In the later in this episode where um, they, they attach different sections to the eagles and i always used to enjoy that as a kid i always used to look forward to seeing the different bits that were going to be attached to the ships ah okay easily pleased well yeah okay <laughs> dr russell so she contacts an eagle and is transferring dangerous hazardous material and she asks them when would they finish unloading and bergman comments on how russell is keeping a thorough check on operations so we know something's going on but we're not quite sure why it's so important and it's all very serious, isn't it? Oh, yeah, very, very, very serious, yes. Well, mm -hmm. Radiation is a serious matter, Paul. So I've heard. Yeah. yeah. We see the brain activities of the men outside on these little scanners. Bergman points out that so far, their brain activity is normal. So far, says Russell. Those little scanners that they're using as well, those little handheld scanners, they look a bit like speak and spell, don't they? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess they do. I guess yeah. There's a lot of interesting design in space 1999 i mean it's very 70s futuristic yeah but you can see that that they really thought about the practicalities of everything can't you yeah yeah uh, and, and i think there's a there is a bit of a direct line between how this show looks and um something like star trek the motion picture they look very similar uh i mean there's a lot of beige going on for us oh i see <laughs> yes yes that and that changes in the second season there's more color it does, but but here we've got lots of beige and lots of clean lines, and everything's um, everything everything just looks very efficient looking. Yeah, yeah, and the, the furniture is Italian design. There are Italian mm. lamps, there's tabourets mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. It looks very nice. I I would look, my apartment would look like it if I could get away with it. You should go for it, and the flowers as well. I'm wearing them right now. Tripped over them earlier today. <laughs> Uh, so we cut to another eagle leaving Earth, and this is carrying Commander John Koenig. And it, and it is a scene reminiscent of 2001 because a cabin crew member wait, makes her way down the aisle to him and gives him coffee. And then a call comes in from Commissioner Simmons. Now he informs Koenig that his orders to take over Moon Base have been confirmed. When she offered him the coffee, mm -hmm. he gave her a, a, bit of a, a bit of a look up and down, didn't he? 
Yeah, I didn't notice that. Uh, mm, you did notice it. No, you? no, I didn't. You didn't notice? Nope. Oh, watch it again. Okay, I will. Koenig is replacing the uh, original commander of Moonbase. Although some of them seem to know him, don't they, from the past? Yeah, yeah, he's greeted quite happily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Koenig's job is to put a man on a planet called Meta. Yes. Simmons shows Koenig a first close-up picture of Meta, oxygen atmosphere, and they think it's supporting life as they know it. He says that the Meta probe astronaut virus, which suddenly comes up in the conversation, must not mm -hmm. stop them from a man landing on Meta. Nothing must stop this mission. I tell you what, bloody stop me. <laughs> Anything called a Meta probe astronaut virus sounds pretty serious. This virus, though, it's all a bit vague, isn't it? Well, it's made up, isn't it? That's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you've spoiled it now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So Simmons signs off, and the pilot of the Eagle shows pictures of the Metaprobe platform to Koenig, and he watches as the ship docks with it. Mm -hmm. Now back on the moon, the astronauts are finishing their radiation checks. There's no leakage. That's always the best kind of leakage. No leakage. No leaks. You don't want to leak. No. Leak-free zone. Unless you're Welsh. I think that's racist, Paul. No, the, 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 the leak is their... Um, National symbol. Is the, that's it, yes. I'm glad you said that. Okay. You, you didn't you. know what it was? Uh, I didn't know. Thank you for digging me out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So suddenly there's an increase in brain activity and Dr. Russell orders the men to get out of the area. Nordstrom screams and falls over. Steiner goes to help him. Bergman orders security to bring Nordstrom in. Steiner calls for help as Nordstrom lashes out at him. Nordstrom goes berserk and he picks up Steiner and then throws him. Then Nordstrom runs into the laser barrier. He's, um, uh, laser-fied? I don't know. What's the word? Laser What's the yes. word when you hit? <laughs> no. I think I like laser fight. Laser fight okay. is good. Yeah. And he the, the weightless acting is very good as well. Uh, the way it's done. Yes. Yes. Wait. Were you serious? I am actually. Yes. It's 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 much better than than the last weightless acting we saw in Star Cops. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Definitely an improvement. Although Star Cops Be is made later, right? Yeah. So. It is, but but where in Star Cops they just seem to be pretending to be motion, moving in slow motion. This was obviously filmed at normal speed and then slowed down. Yeah, yeah. Which looked better. Yes. Yeah. So uh, he collapses and his helmet is smashed and one of his eyes that's visible is all opaque. When they were struggling as well, did you notice that um, one of the visors on one of the actors fell back? Yeah, we get worse later. <laughs> They're just crash helmets, aren't they? Yeah, they are, totally. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to the opening credits, which uh, really emphasizes Martin Landau's and Barbara Bain's position in the series because they're the only two that actually get their faces on the opening credits. They are. It's, it's incredibly dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's very dramatic. Uh, they're staring and they turn and look at the camera and say, Obey us. He <laughs> reminded me of an ABBA video oh, from the 70s. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we cut to funky music, and this episode flashes on the screen. And as the music plays, we get clips of the episode. I miss that on TV shows. I kind of I like the way Space Nineteen Ninety Nine does it. I don't like the way, say, a show like Hunter does it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one just shows you like the action bits with the cool music, but Hunter shows mm -hmm. you clips with dialogue. Yeah, that is a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. Although. 
in terms of Space 1999, it does make the episode seem to be far more exciting than what it actually is, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the American idea of that is it probably goes to a commercial after that. So, like, you see I that, thought so, and then yeah. you're like, oh, I'm going to watch that because all that happened in it. But but it, it, it works great, and especially with this theme tune, because this theme tune is, is, is fantastic. All I would, we didn't really mention the music by Barry Gray. It's, it's great. I mean, it, it's kind of funky it's funky orchestral isn't it yes yeah yeah mm. i mean and you can listen to it outside of the show as well and enjoy it yeah it makes you want to start leaping over fences and it certainly does mm-hmm. not all the time though you know <laughs> just at the weekend and small fences you know <laughs> not big ones <laughs> got my limits oh i know that so then we get shot i'm seeing them i'm seeing them now Oh, hold on. Let me just zip up. Oh, God. <laughs> there we get shots of space as the rest of the music continues. And then it switches to telling you about how the moon ended up being flung into orbit, which, of course, in the pilot hasn't actually happened yet. <laughs> it's foreshadowing. That's what they call it nowadays, For- isn't it? Foreshadowing the dark side of the moon. That's right, yeah. yeah. As the episode begins, we have a shot of the moon and Koenig's eagle arriving. And we cut to moon base, the eagle lands. So what do we think of the effects? And the, you know, I know we've discussed we love the eagles themselves, but what about the model work? I think it's, on the whole, I think it's really, really good, actually. It's much better than what we saw in UFO. Yeah, yeah. But, but it should be, because it's almost 10 years after, isn't it, really? So it's an, it's, um, an, it's an improvement. But yeah, it's really good. I do like the model work in Space 1999. I mean, you're aware that you're looking at models. And you're aware, you're aware that, that you're looking at Jerry Anderson stuff because it looks like Jerry Anderson stuff. Yeah, Derek Madden, I would imagine. Yeah, it looks like Derek Madden. But it's still good. And, and I think it helps that the designs are so good as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he loves it, doesn't he? God. <laughs> Unbelievable. I didn't know we had a live audience. On this one. <laughs> All right. right. It's every, it's every time you swear. <laughs> he's not timing it right, you see. No, he's not. He needs to... Yeah. He does. So a transport tube takes Dr. Bergman to meet Koenig. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen this transport tube somewhere else, and I can't think where. I know what you mean. It does look familiar. Yeah, it's very reminiscent but, but of part, Yeah, but part of me's wondering whether it just looks familiar because I'm so familiar with the show. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. So when Bergman and Koenig meet, they seem to know each other on a first name basis. Yeah, they. They. Uh, but don't we get in? I presume you've watched the first season. Yes. Don't we get like a, an episode where we do see that Koenig was involved in some kind of project that Bergman was involved in as well? Yeah, we do. Yeah. 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 Which is nice that they did that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Bergman tells Koenig that things are more serious. And you've been told, people are dying up here. The virus infection, says Koenig. Hmm, yes, the virus infection. I'm just doing that. <laughs> That's the way you do well, it. That's the way you do well, it, it's, isn't it? It's, it's important because I don't understand the next bit. Koenig enters okay. Moonbase Command and meets the leaving commander, who has been suspended but seems to be taking it quite well. He does. Yeah. He does. He's, he's, he's also very Welsh. No, that's why he's annoyed. There's no leakages. <laughs> Very good. <Thank> you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so his current identity is welcomed by various people. Quite a few know him already. Some he's introduced mm -hmm. to him. Now, when Bergman and Koenig are alone in his office, Koenig says, well, no virus then. What is it? Why is he suddenly a word that it's not a virus? Mm. Bergman going, ah, yes, virus infection. Wouldn't make me go, oh, it's not a virus infection after all. Maybe they, they, they because they worked together so closely in the past that they, they can pick on up on each other's little tells. You know, oh, he's trying to tell him something. Yeah, maybe. We we have that all the time. Sorry, who are you? What? Hey. <laughs> all right. I'd like I'd like to think that if you were trying to hint at uh, some kind of plague lie, that I get it first time. Oh, you would get it first time, the plague. You'd be like the canary <laughs> I'd use. I'd be like, if Paul if I mean, Paul's okay, I'm okay. Oh, Paul's looking a bit ill. Hmm. No, no, no. I'd be patient zero. Nothing can kill me. Patient zero. Isn't that the mm. one that starts it? Yeah, but he's usually the one that outlives everyone else, isn't he? No, isn't that how it I works? Think he dies first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll have to rethink he's that then. He's the originator <laughs> of it. I think he's running around going, woo, I'm patient zero. <laughs> Look at all you guys. I always thought patient zero that you know that if you if you got it first that you outlived everyone. why would you be the one that why would just you getting it first outlive you well because you're the one that spreads it because you have the, you? you have the no you spread it to the next person and they get it you die and then they get it they die you don't you're not immortal <laughs> i've got that wrong otherwise <laughs> if patient one died and the patient zero was okay they'd be like well let's just get whatever blood he's got and examine that yeah, I didn't think I didn't think that through, did I? No. no. All right, okay, all right. <clears throat> I'd, I'd be patient uh, 10,000. Patient 10,000. So, yeah, so they yeah. just found a cure at patient 999. Hopefully. Yeah, well, not 999. <laughs> 19,000. Wait, 9,999. Yeah. 9, <laughs> 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 What, but then you'd be patient 1,200. Space, 90, space 1999, come on. Wait, oh, is that what we're watching? Yes. <laughs> okay. Apparently. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, so Bergman says he doesn't know what it is. It looks like but you can't let the space plan of the century slip through their fingers. There's no margin for error. Space plan. That's what it sounded like to me. I think I, I thought it said space plan as well. Okay, it's a weird mm. sentence to me. Mm. Mm hmm. Because a space plan just sounds like he's arranging furniture in a room. <laughs> Bit of feng shui going on. Yeah, it's like well, we gotta go to IKEA, get the shuttle. Come on. You can't go to IKEA. Everything's Italian. In this. Oh yeah, that's Swedish. That's Swedish, You're right? You can't cross the streams, okay. especially when it's furniture. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm. Bergman points out that the problem may affect the metaprobe, and that Doctor Russell has some interesting ideas. Koenig says that Simmons has told him all about it, but Bergman reveals that he couldn't know much because the previous Moonbase commander stopped Russell from sending all of her reports. Bergman says Koenig should talk to her. So. Why has this previous commander been suspended? He seems to be, like, playing ball. Now they've hired this guy who's not going to play ball. They really made a mistake, right? This Commissioner Simmons, he screwed up. 
<laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, Should've I mean, just kept the previous commander. He was just lying his ass off. Like he 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 was us, right? You. That guy was us. You. No, us. You. Us. You. Us. You. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a long night if we do this for like two hours. <laughs> we. I mean, we just go along with it, wouldn't we? No. Got principles. Oh. Got principles, mate. Have you? Okay. Pretty sure they're in a drawer somewhere. Hold yeah, on. let me know when you find them. It's next to your heart. <laughs> That's in the other drawer. Okay. Right. I like looking for drawers. No. Right, carry We're on. Not doing... We're not doing We're carry not doing on. No. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Fewer episodes. Connie right. <laughs> goes to her office. So we should talk about the gadgets that they have, like for unlocking doors and the communicators. I think that the the little because the communicators have got these little TV screens on them as well, mm -hmm. and that was probably felt so futuristic at the time in the seventies. Right, and they're actually practical, aren't they? They look real. Yeah, they had a giant. You don't see it in the show, but they had a massive cable coming off them so that you could pump the video footage through. Mm -hmm. But they look great, and they're great. The fact that they have to point the thing at the door to open the doors actually makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because then only certain people with the right control yeah, thingy. Yeah, and you can't just burge into somebody's room. Mm, which it, it makes perfect sense. Seems to happen a lot on things like Star Trek and the Orville where people just walk into people's rooms. Oh yeah, Star Trek's the worst for it. Yeah. Yeah. But but for a show that, that came up with an idea like that, <clears throat> that made so much sense, like Space nineteen ninety nine did with these con controllers, they kind of drop the ball in other ways, don't they, with these big massive um bus ticket printouts that come out of the the, the computers all the time that they have to read from. Yeah. Why can't true. they just look at screens? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it seems weird. Uh, they, maybe they just like you know, those people who always complain about ebooks and they prefer the real thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, we could read the screens, but I just love a big printout. And they're, and they're like, you know what? Also, paper everywhere on the moon. Not got a problem with getting it up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like, hold on a minute. <laughs> That's the one thing you don't have on the moon. <laughs> Trees. Do, do you think that maybe in the 70s, a computer printout just seemed like a really futuristic idea yeah, to, to, to the layman? And maybe, you know. maybe the moon had trees all over it. Well, not anymore. No, it's just <laughs> gone. Paper that, that this computer's churning out. That's what it is. <laughs> Covered in trees, the moon. Didn't know that, did you? At one point, I'm pretty sure that there's reams of it coming out, and they're actually bunching it up in their hands. Yeah, just like shoving it in the pants to keep warm. They don't care. Ah, this paper <laughs> ah, grows on trees. But no, for the most part, I do think that, and the um, the guns as well are quite interesting. Yes, it's probably one of the few shows where guns look totally unique, right? Apart from the fact that they look like those industrial staple guns. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Which I always used to think were. When I was at primary school, we used to make, um, we used to play Space 1999. And I used to, don't look at me like that. We, <laughs> no, no, well, it, it just been on TV, right? 1970. Yeah. 70-something. And um, we used to make the guns out of stickle bricks. Stickle mm -hmm. bricks. Perfect for making the guns oh. for Space 1999. I guess so. I guess mm. so, yeah. Yeah, there, there is not a person of our age that hasn't picked up a stapler and oh, of course not, used it no. as a Space 1999. No, 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 no. In fact, if there is someone of our age who hasn't done it, I don't want to know them. They shouldn't be listening. No. We don't want them. Shut up. We don't want them. Go, Go away. away. Philistine. Who's she? <laughs> uh, Philistine? 
<laughs> she was in Carol Camping, wasn't she? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, she was, right? So Dr. Russell says it's not a virus. And what they have here is an unusual form of brain damage. Very unusual. And the condition is critical. And then Koenig says, oh, so they're not going to recover? Yeah, mate, that's what critical usually means. <laughs> he, he's only in command. I mean, at the end of the day. That's true. You know. That's true. Now, I didn't realize that the two Metaprobe astronauts had also been infected until later. I don't, I don't, the point where it actually tells you seems to be lost. I think it tells you in this, this scene, does it? Does yeah. it? Okay, then I, I just didn't pick up on it. I was, you know, dreaming. Drinking, you mean. And it begins in a, a D, oh. yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he asked about the backup crew. Are they cleared to fly this mission? Well, she says, they're as well as the others were. Uh, the ninth man died this morning. One minute they're completely well, the next they've lost control and then they die. <laughs> so, you know, she's saying, like, I can say yes. Yes, they're well at the moment we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Next five seconds, that could totally change. I'm not saying anything about doctors. Okay. All right. She shows him some brain images and tells him they've had 11 cases and nine deaths. <laughs> this brain image that she shows him, it, it, it's... Um... It's just a bit of hand-drawn stuff, isn't it? It's the, uh, it's like paint. It's like artwork on glass, isn't it? It's how, it's how yeah. they've done it, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, looks good though. It does, it looks. Yeah, it shows you a nice little red splodge where the brains exploded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Koenig says yes, but you know those were all workers at nuclear disposal too. Fuck them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that bit. He, just, he doesn't say that. He just say yeah, but they're all workers at nuclear disposal too. It's inconsistent as the two probe astronauts never went near that site. Mm-hmm. So the tone so far of this episode, um, it's very reminiscent to me of Star Cops, isn't it? It's kind of kind of like a funkier Star Cops. It's very serious. Very serious. It's about uh, a medical problem, mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Um, not about. It's not about political... aliens. No, there's some political intrigue as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to change, isn't it? Yep. Later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So Russell points out that there are more inconsistencies. There's no radiation leak has ever been reported, but what is consistent is that the probe astronauts and the backup crews live the same lives. They've been through the same training. And then the backup crew appears to be okay, but she can't guarantee that they won't be infected three days or three months out into deep space. Mm-hmm. Koenig says, so you're saying the risk is medically unacceptable. The risk is great, she says, but the decision is, of course, yours. It's always good to pass the buck, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Koenig asks to see the men. Now, Russell takes him to sickbay. Now, he looks at them through protective glass and they're all scared and blind and they're kind of breathing heavy. And then he starts yelling their names. <laughs> what do you think they're going to do? Get up and dance? What, what's, what's he expecting at this point? I was waiting for him to start banging on the on the window. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Stella! <laughs> what's, what's he doing? Uh, <laughs> as Russell's slowly backing away. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I think he's been affected. <laughs> Connie goes to the command center and meets Carter. He asks Carter if the ship is ready to go. Carter says all you have to do is give the word, and any delay reduces the chance of success. Now, Alan Carter, he's a, he's a no-nonsense Australian pilot, isn't he? But he's another one who's always angry. He, he's always angry. He's uh, always yelling at Koenig. This is something we can discuss when we talk about season two's episode, but I always find that 
the, the people in, in Space 1999 are always distrustful of each other and they're always questioning each other and arguing with each other, no matter how much stuff they've been through together right. as the series right. goes on. They, they still seem, which I suppose in some ways is, is quite unique because it's people acting like actual human beings would. I guess. I, I mean, yeah, I can see your point. It, it doesn't make them seem very heroic at times. No, but more human. But more human, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Although my feeling is that surely right now everything's going well, so they should shouldn't be all distrusting of each other. But then after the accident, they should be, mm. but then get better as time goes on. Mm-hmm. I don't know, mm. but yeah, I see your point. Yeah, um, Carter says the backup crew will take seven days, but then he wants to know what that means. There's calculations and coordinates. We can't just do it. He wants to know what he's not being told. So apparently, the deaths of these pilots and nuclear disposal crews have been kept secret like they're managing to keep it quiet from everybody on the base that's quite an achievement especially as there's supposed to be what over 300 people on this base at this point yeah 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 all right have you ever read gossip that gets around work in about 20 seconds (laughs) i'm five thousand miles away from you and i've heard gossip about you from your workplace (laughs) i'd believe it completely yes so what sort of gossip? <laughs> what have you heard? <laughs> Tell the offer. All right, okay. Koenig replies that it's his job to get the Metaprobe launched. All he wants to know is, is the crew ready to go? Yeah, we're ready to go. Oh, he's always up for it, isn't he? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. He always wants to fly off into danger. He does, he loves it. Yeah. Back in Koenig's office, Simmons places a call and asks for his first impressions. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Funny. Garnick uh, tells him there was another death. He tells Simmons about Russell's theory. Simmons says that Russell is wrong about her findings and that he's going to send a top medical team to look into it. Garnick tells him, "Whoa, hold it!" He says he needs to double check. There's no radiation leak. Simmons points out that the two astronauts never even went in the waste disposal site. Connick says, nine men have died, and I need to find out why. He tells Simmons to stop sending any more atomic waste. Now, Simmons says, can't do that. A lot of, lot of waste. It's one of the biggest problems on Earth. At first, Koenig is adamant. But then he says, well, let's trade. You stop sending up the waste, and I'll get your Metaprobe launch. Simmons agrees to a temporary delay. I mean, let's face it, in the... Uh Dumping atomic waste on the moon seems like the kind of thing that wouldn't be... We're not too far away from, really. <laughs> you know, if someone... Yeah, I, I can see that as a plan. Yeah, yes. if someone came up with so... that tomorrow, and I say someone, and we all I... know who I'm talking about... <laughs> yep, yep, we do. It no would not surprise names. me. It wouldn't surprise no, me. I wouldn't. I agree with you totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Koenig wants to know why Simmons lied to him about the men and the ideas of an infection. Simmons says that they had to keep any ideas of failure away or the whole funding for the project would end. So he's dripping with uh, bureaucracy and um, self-service, isn't he? He's awash with it. He is awash. Very good. Yeah. Koenig contacts Paul and tells him he's going to check the waste disposal site himself and wants two volunteers. Everyone's like, Ooh, yeah, not me. Paul's got a fine moustache, though. Yes, a very fine moustache. It is. Yeah. What are you thinking? What, a moustache? 
Yeah. I've got a bit of a moustache. No, no. Wait, what? That's not a moustache. That's just a shadow. Yeah, you'll get a surprise when you see me because you can't really see it on Skype. But it's that's, that's not a moustache. That's the ghost of a moustache. <laughs> that's, that's a that's a moustache that's passed on to the other side. Well, I keep it. I keep it trim. Yeah. That's the kind of moustache I need a Ouija board to contact. It, well, is it still a moustache if it's attached to a beard? No. So it's a beard. Well, no, it's still a moustache. I take it back. He's still a moustache. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It just looks like dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your face? <laughs> So we cut to an eagle approaching the site. Now Collins is the pilot. Bergman is with Koenig. Koenig orders the eagle to go closer. They fly over Disposal Waste Site 1. Because apparently Disposal Waste Site 1 is a, a point where they can visual point that you can see and use it to turn towards Disposal Waste Site 2. Mm -hmm. And they don't use 1 anymore. Mm -hmm. It's been abandoned. Got, got to say as well that um, what do you think about the cockpit of the eagle? It's a nice design, isn't it? It looks very practical. Yes, it's good, and I like the fact that they've um, they darken the glass because of the sun, I would imagine. But it also means they don't have to bother like projecting anything on the outside. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But uh, I mean, the, the, just in terms of the instruments and mm -hmm. and the controls, they look like something that would actually work. Yeah, it looks you know based off an airplane design and then mm -hmm. es escalated to be a spaceship design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it looks good. Koenig tells Collins to fly a little over over disposal waste site one just. You know, for shits and giggles. Take a look at it. Mm -hmm. Which he does. And then they move on to area two. Now, Collins starts to feel a little itchy on his face. He's got a twitch. Yeah, or he has a stomach problem. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> could be could be piles. I don't like this bit. Why? I don't like people fiddling with their eyes in things. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, you know. No, yeah, don't. No, don't. <laughs> it's, it, uh, I don't like eyes. No, don't do that. <laughs> Get away. So, so we cut to the Eagle landing, and uh, three men enter the disposal site center. Two astronauts are outside performing the check. No leaks are detected at the first point. Now, I'm still not sure why Koenig is risking two more men's life when people have done this before. He, 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 he seems like he, <laughs> this is all new to him, doesn't it? Like yeah, like, I have to see it, even though Russell and Bergman have already done all this mm, stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not real unless I see it. Why does he even have to be there himself? Yeah, yeah. You know? He does that a lot. Mm. Now, behind them, Collins is clearly having problems. He's sweating. He's pulling at his eyes. Ugh. Finally, no leak is reported. Koenig tells the two astronauts to quickly get out of there. Now, <laughs> did you notice as this is going back to your crash helmet mm -hmm. thing? As a slow motion jump into the moon buggy, one of the astronauts' helmets completely comes off <laughs> into the air. <laughs> Do you think that wasn't noticed at the time, or they just thought, oh, sod it? I don't know, probably a bit of both. Yeah. Probably they didn't notice, and then when they played it back to slow it down, they're like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> We're not filming again, so just cut it really quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's the way we would do yeah. it. Because we're all about budget, right? That's it. And production times. That's it. Yeah, it's got to keep that moving. Yep. Mm -hmm. Bergman says that proves the radiation out there is within safe limits. So much for Dr. Russell's theory, says Koenig. Now, I don't remember Russell having a theory about the nuclear waste disposal site. They already checked it and found no leaks. They do that a lot in this show, though, don't they? They kind of make leaps. 
and then and then yeah and then justify it by saying that someone said something that they didn't actually say yeah it's like a it's a workplace thing isn't it it's just throwing russell under the bus (laughs) he's like well (laughs) that's russell's theory blown out and russell's like wait i didn't have a theory about this (laughs) why you not that we would do that obviously well no i wouldn't no but i have it done to me though so you know oh yeah so whatever affected the two astronauts and the nine men wasn't from there. Mm-hmm. Colin starts saying he needs to get out of here, then screams it. Bergman and Koenig turn to look at him and find he is suffering from the uh, whatever it is. The twitch. The twitch, mm-hmm. yeah. Collins pushes Bergman aside and hits Koenig. He then bashes his helmet against the glass window, which breaks on first impact. Yeah, it's not very now, thick, is it? Yeah, I'd want tougher windows on the moon, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you? Yeah. You need to get um, what's that guy that used to do the the uh, the adverts for um, double glazing when we were kids. You remember he used to always yeah. let a feather yeah, yeah, yeah. float down. He used to land a helicopter mm. as well, yeah. right? What are they called? And then you cut inside and you couldn't hear the helicopter. That's the one. What, what were those windows called? Don't know. It would have been nice if you looked it up. <laughs> it just came to me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Answers on a postcard to any of our listeners. Yes, please. I want to know. And it's not the Ron Seal guy. Totally you know, it'll just come to me in the middle of something and I'll blurt it out. Yeah, just blurt it out in the next podcast with no connection to whatever <laughs> you're discussing. Everest, that's it. Oh, well done. <laughs> yeah, it was Everest. That's right. Whatever happened to them? I'm sure they're still going. Yeah, okay. Did they ever reach the top? <laughs> is, it, is this the double glazing podcast now? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just go through our favorite top five favorite windows blazing podcast. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I think the Everest is the only one or no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I think Everest is is I think that was the top of the pile, wasn't it? Windows ten. Yeah. Not like that. <laughs> Does that count? Well it's a window, technically. Yeah. Technically. Okay. So no two. <laughs> Alright, Koenig shouts to him, Don't do it! You'll kill us all. And they try and stop him. Security enters, but are instantly knocked over by Koenig for mm-hmm. some reason. Mm-hmm. Stumbles into him. Koenig grabs the gun and stuns Collins. They drag him out of the room just before the window explodes and the atmosphere is sucked out. Back at Moonbase, Koenig orders a record of all the flights made by the Meta crew on their training missions against other eagles and the other crew who have the illness and find any correlation. Mm-hmm. Back in his office, he puts a call into Russell and asks for an update. Now, Russell doesn't answer because she's with one of the men that has just died. Yes, he's, uh, he's passed on. In sick bay, Russell asks the computer to confirm that last report. And the computer says, I love he's dead. Which, I don't understand why she's asking the computer to confirm that the guy's died. The lack of breathing and pulse would give it away. Yeah, but they seem to ask computer everything, though, don't they? Ah, maybe it's a statement on the society that they live in, that they're now dependent on the computer. It could be, and that is a note that I made. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Do you mean seriously, you cheeky... It's <laughs> <laughs> a little deep for you. <laughs> I've got types. Honestly. Types. Okay. Right here. She switches up... What? Nothing. Carry on. Okay. <sighs> oh, I think he's really offended. <laughs> <laughs> She switches off his life support. Koenig reveals to Carter that the men have died. So now Carter is let into what's going on. Mm -hmm. So apparently, you know, everyone's been lied to. 
And Earth Command wanted to think that it was just a temporary setback. Mm-hmm. Carter then like immediately asks about the probe. Yeah. He's like, oh, it's like nine people have died. Yeah, but what about the probe? Well, he's just like, angry right, again, isn't he? He's just angry. Yeah, he's angry. Yeah. He is, yeah. But right now, Koenig is only concerned about why those men died. Koenig sits in his apartment. In his, apa- in his apartment? <laughs> yeah. He's got a little apartment. He's, got, he's gone home, has he? Well, he is. Well, it is home. It's his apartment and moon base. They've all got apartments. On the Enterprise, people have their own little apartment, it's right? quarters. Oh, look at you, your technical military terms. And you feel all good, right, macho? What a tough guy. You'd be abseiling down the window tomorrow. Tomorrow? <laughs> Koenig sits in his quarters and ruminates on everything that has happened, his orders, the people dying. And he tries to figure out what to do. He ponders that the giant leap for mankind is starting to look like a stumble in the dark. It's a good line. Yes. Later, Koenig has shown the flight recorders of the Eagle and that there was a blackout as it went over Waste Disposal 1. Koenig wants measurements of Disposal 1 for the last few days. And he remembers that Collins took the same route earlier. It's a turning point commonly used because it's a clear landmark for Disposal 2 and the training crews use it too. Koenig points out that he had Collins do a low fly pass that very morning. Can I just ask? Hmm. Why do they have those big lamps over all the computer consoles? Uh, because they've got all that paper. They need to light up the paper so they can read it. The screens are fine. I know mm. where you're going. You're thinking, why are they over screens? Because then the screen's illuminated anyway. But I no, have. it's because of all that paper. But they haven't got screens there, have they? Well, they, got reading. they need reading lamps for the paper. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Those, those lamps are Italian design, by the way. They're very nice lamps. Yeah, you can buy them. You should nip out there, get one. Can you? Yes, they're, they're, all all of those kind of things are actual objects oh, that you right. can buy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just like fancy Italian designs. So can I use. can I get myself a, a, a Commander Koenig uniform? Unfortunately not, because I would like one of those second season jackets. Oh really? What the bright, oh. the bright orange thing that he's wearing? Like, I, I tone, I, I tone the colours down a little. With the big collars and everything. Oh, lovely! What about that one he's wearing where it looks like a sweater around his shoulders? That's oh, nice. we'll talk about that later. Yeah, lovely, <laughs> all right. lovely, love all that. Um, Sandra enters with some readings and reveals there is a heat rise in Area One, yet the radiation levels are normal. Mm-hmm. Koenig contacts Bergman and says they believe they've got a connection. They bring waste area one on the view screen. There's intense heat, but no atomic energy, which should be impossible. Then the camera burns out, and then the next camera burns out. Koenig orders an eagle to go out there. They have to see what's going on. Koenig flies out. Well, I mean, he's he's you know he's a, he's a hands-on kind of guy, isn't he? It's, cap- it's, it's Captain a, Kirk, isn't it? Basically, I think I think it's just that Russell had ten minutes of screen time, and now he needs to. Yeah, I think that's really probably what it was. Yeah. Uh, so just, just just in terms of this flying out as well I always find it inconsistent in this show that sometimes they go out and they're wearing full flight suits and other times they go and pilot these eagles and they're just wearing the normal clothes and they're wearing full flight suits because they know they're going to have to get out at some point well, almost like they know what's coming well it depends on the mission objective right yeah, but wouldn't you just put a flight suit on anyway if you're going to be piloting an eagle? I kind of would in case you suddenly lost oxygen. Yeah, you'd think so, problem. wouldn't you? 
you know, sitting there in yeah. your slacks. Yeah, but maybe they just like being comfortable. Maybe there's a guy who just likes to fly tackle out, you know. Well, those those seventies slacks with the flares, they do look very roomy. Yeah, so you know, especially like, if you're uh, if you know a, a bigger kind of guy like Koenig is. Yeah, you know, he's just like, oh, I, I don't want to be cramped up in a little spacesuit. I want to feel free. Mm-hmm. But here he is wearing the spacesuit, which is good, really. Yes, he, he's gonna need good, it. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So as lightning flashes and intense heat, Koenig is having trouble flying. The ship has been hit by the force of the lightning. He loses control and it starts to dive. The eagle crashes into the moon's surface. Koenig is knocked out. Explosions occur on waste disposal site one. And then we cut to sickbay because Russell is checking Koenig over. He's been rescued by a rescue crew. Mm -hmm. She's annoyed with him because he went out there even knowing all that has happened. We need answers. Not heroes. There's a, obviously an attraction between Russell and Koenig, isn't there? There, there is. Not, not as much as there is in the second season. No, but I, I know where you're going with that. But it, it, it does seem like it's organic to me. If you, if you take this as the, as the starting point, and then you see where we are in the second season. If they've been traveling in space for that longer time together and their relationship has built over however many months they've been doing that, they will be at a further point, won't they? I agree with you, but there is a big change between the way it's written in the second season. Yeah, it's almost like they're married. I know what you're yes. saying. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. which they are in real life. Yes. Bergman is looking at an old monitoring device from Area 1. Mm -hmm. It was used to record the magnetic output of the artificial gravity over there. When the site closed down, it had nothing to record, but now it's showing a 20-fold increase in the magnetic field before it burned out. Bergman says, they were wrong to be obsessed by radiation. This device has answered a question. It's magnetic energy that is the problem. Now, in this scene we get, um, in the control room, we get our first callback to uh, Scars of Dracula, a very early episode that we did. All right, how? didn't really see this coming. There's a, an actor in the background called Christopher Matthews, and he plays uh, the main mission tech. That is, that is the, the name of his character. Mm -hmm. and he... That's what he plays in Scars of Dracula? <laughs> no, no, no. Weird. I didn't know there was all that stuff in, going on in that film. In Scars of Dracula, he played oh. Paul. Oh, okay. You remember the guy that went to the castle first and ended up on a hook? I do, yes. Yeah, this is him. Oh, okay. And it won't be the first time or the last time that I mention Scars of Dracula in this podcast. What a joy yeah. for us all. Stay tuned. I always find that Anderson stuff and Hammer stuff, they're kind of... They're very similar, uh, aren't they? They're along the same kind of channel, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. when you when you watch it and you you listen to the music in places and and you, and some of the music cues you think oh that's very hammerish, okay, and then you've got Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee turning up so <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know. that's true that's true yeah so he reports his findings to Koenig magnetic energy was causing the brain damage and destroyed the flight equipment aboard the Eagle as each person flew over Area One to make the turn. They were affected by it, and it was an accumulative effect. Mm -hmm. What worries Bergman is that the kind of burnout seen at Area 1 could occur at Area 2. You reckon? Mm. Russell says she won't be responsible for any more men out on the surface in those conditions, and Koenig agrees. 
Koenig says they'll equip an eagle to record the magnetic levels and fly it via remote control. Why don't they always fly their eagles via remote control? Yeah, if you can do that, why put people in there and risk their lives? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems odd, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they ever do it again, do they? They conveniently um, forget that they can fly things remote control. Actually, no, they do. They do it in... in the yeah, I think they used uh, to get... Yeah. Get that, cut that bit then. <laughs> no, leave it in. No, don't, don't. I always leave your blunders in. It pads out the, the podcast. That's it does. Oh, yeah, that's that's what our podcasts need, padding. <laughs> <laughs> the eagle heads out. Paul is controlling it under Koenig's orders. Mm-hmm. So far, the readings from the area are normal. The eagle starts to land. But then a magnetic surge whacks into it and it goes out of control. The eagle crashes into the surface. Koenig tells Paul to contact Commissioner Simmons and pass on emergency code Alpha 1. Koenig says, it was radiation, magnetic radiation, and now we're sitting on the biggest bomb that mankind has ever made. It's very distracting when you keep saying, Paul did this and Paul did that. I'm thinking, when, when did I do that? I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't yeah, remember that. You, you used to being accused of things. <laughs> no, I'm not, Your Honor. Commissioner Simmons arrives at Moon Base, and I noticed something. He hands over the door device to him. Mm-hmm. And but he doesn't take it, so it's like as if he was passing control to Simmons. Yeah. Simmons says that his office tried to contact Koenig, but he was never available. I am now, he says. And he, Roy Dutrice is excellent in this role, isn't he? Yes, he is. He, he, yeah. he, as I said before, he drips with um, corruption, really, doesn't he? And, right. and lies and deceit and bureaucracy. Love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Love it. I can't wait for you to uh, watch him again when we do Beauty and the Beast. Later, Bergman <laughs> explains what is going on to Simmons, that the heat is now rising in Area 2, similar to what happened in Area 1. But Area 2 contains 140 times the amount of waste that Area 1 has. It can cause a chain reaction. Chain reaction. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Dad. Okay. Go, Dad. Simmons asks if it could just burn itself out like Area 1. Koenig says there's no chance because they're sitting right on top of it. Bergman suggests they break the area up, destroy the mass, but we have a limited time. An eagle heads out to remove some of the waste and spread it around. Yep, spreading your waste around, it's called the Assange technique. <laughs> um, so they're dispersing it to different grid areas. <laughs> so they've had navigation problems with two of the ships. The magnetic field is affecting them, but the heat level is holding. Simmons ponders if they have it under control. Well, it looks promising to him, and he, he wants to issue a communique. Koenig says to wait. All he sees are men risking their lives. If this goes wrong, there won't be anybody to issue a communique. Mm-hmm. There'll be no survivors. Suddenly, a call goes out. Oh, it's all going up. <laughs> <laughs> is, that what, is that how they did it? Where? Yeah. Right. Oh, it's all going up. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Commander, Commander. <laughs> Brown trousers time, mate. Wait, isn't that what I said at the start of the podcast? Yeah, but it's a computer. It's going up. That's right. That's your line, right? Mm, that's my line. Yeah, yeah, it's your line. Flashes of lightning erupt from Area 1. An eagle is hit and explodes. Koenig aborts the mission. All eagles are returned to base. And explosions rip through the area. A blinding flash goes off from the moon, and Moonbase is violently shaken. People are thrown about, explosions occur, and gravity suddenly becomes stronger from the G-forces the moon is 
violently ripped out of orbit. I wonder how much corpsing went on during this G-force acting. Probably a lot, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it does look funny, doesn't it? It does, yeah. <laughs> everyone's kind of, we should just say everyone's just kind of laying around struggling against nothing, aren't they? <laughs> yes, pretty much. It's that old Star Trek thing, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. A Carter, who we've forgotten about, is actually already off in an eagle and he was supposed to be observing mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And you can see the moon move out of orbit. Koenig, meanwhile, slowly tries to crawl along the floor as Earth moves further away. Mm-hmm. So Carter sees what happened and he tries to contact mm-hmm. Moon Base, but he's not getting a response because nobody can reach a communicator because they've been pushed back to the ground by the forces. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Koenig is trying to crawl along the floor as Carter's contacting Moon Base and getting no response. And he sees the moon moving away from the Earth. And finally, Koenig makes it to the communicator. And he explains to Carter that there's an enormous G-forces. But then they start to lessen. And Bergman manages it to the computer. And he starts saying, oh, yes, disposal area one was originally acting like a rocket. But now the force is lessening. So the G-forces are decreasing. And as Carter watches, the moon starts to slow. But it's still moving away. And... uh, Carter then says, "Well, you do this evening. You do it for your dress." You know the most amazing thing about that whole sequence was, what? What? was was the actions I was watching you do, which the people listening can't see. But it was amazing. He, honestly, he was acting it out in front of my my eyes. It, it was fantastic. It was. Thanks, folks. <laughs> then why doesn't Alan just fly back to Earth? Well, maybe maybe it's a different kind of eagle. Maybe it's only an eagle with enough fuel to like go into orbit of the moon and look around. All right, I'll, I'll, can't, I'll buy can't reach Earth. I'll maybe buy. they're different mm-hmm. eagles. Uh, because obviously, Carter then manages to get back to the moon. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, back on the moon base, the medical teams move in to help the injured, and they have a long-range video picture from the satellite of the moon moving further from Earth. Mm-hmm. They ask the computer if they can get back to Earth, but the computer can't answer it because it has no data that's relevant to the situation all it says is human decision required a future where the thought of a human decision scares everyone yeah it goes back to what you were saying earlier right y- you can see this happening can't you it's we do, I, it, none of this feels like we're that far away from it oh let me just check google <laughs> very good yeah yeah google agrees <laughs> Now, as the medical crew are moving in, Carter finally arrives and then gives an odd thumbs up to Bergman. Mm-hmm. He does. Oh, hey, everything good? <laughs> Great. <laughs> it is a bit weird, of, it? Yeah, we moved out of orbit from Earth. There's people dead and injured. But yeah, thumbs up, mate. <laughs> Very strange. Koenig uses the PA to contact everybody on the base. Mm-hmm. Attention, all sections alpha. Our moon has been blasted out of orbit. We've been completely cut off from planet Earth. We have power, environment, and therefore... Why are you laughing? Nothing. I can see you're you're doing your auditions again, so carry on. Oh, okay. And therefore, possibilities of survival. If we should try to improvise and return to Earth without full resources, it is my belief we will fail. Therefore, in my judgment, we do not try. In other news, the gin's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
you know, every every cloud. <laughs> but you got you got to find a win somewhere, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we cut to an Earth news broadcast talking about the repercussions of the moon being blasted out of orbit. This was weird. Earth. This was weird. Why? What? what was weird about it? Cutting, everything just felt natural apart from this bit. It just felt forced to me. Although I did like his old-fashioned phones that he had. Although they're futuristic at the time, weren't they? So. Yeah, yeah. But why did it feel fast? I, do, I don't like news. I, I, I've always got a problem with... You don't news. like news, full stop. <laughs> Just leave it there. I've always got Move a on. problem with news casters in, in, in films and TV. It always feels like a, um, like a weak shortcut to something. Even when, but you would pick, you would try to pick up signals from Earth. I suppose. You? I think. I just think there could have been a better way of doing it, really. And do you have more problems if it's an actual real newscaster pretending to act? Oh God, yeah, because that's awful. Okay. Mm. All right. Um, but the newscaster talks about the fact that they believe there's no survivors on the moon and no chance of a rescue. But then the signal starts to break up. Mm -hmm. Paul tries to get it back. Not you. <laughs> but then they pick up a different signal. It's Meta. Ah, remember that planet that they, they mm -hmm. were trying to reach? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's where our future lies, says Koenig. September the 13th, 1999. Meta signals increasing. Yes. Maybe there. And the episode finishes. It's a great ending to a, a first episode of a series. This would really make you want to tune in next week, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going you're not, you're not to you're, you're, you're get a payoff, though, are you? <laughs> no, I guess not. Not really. No. So that that was episode uh, one of season one. And, uh, I mean, we're going to obviously sum up at the end, but mm -hmm. I think it's a cracking pilot. Oh, so do I. It's, it's, it's yeah. one of the best. It's up there with the greats. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. And, and, and so well, that takes us to season two. Whole different world. <laughs> So, Space 1999 Season 2, Episode 1, The Metamorph. So, we open with um, a new credit sequence and a new theme tune. Yeah, I prefer the first one. So do I, but it's not terrible. Oh, no, no, it's not horrible. I just prefer the first one. This one sounds more like a 70s cop show. I thought it sounded like they got Rick Waitman in. Why was it seventeen minutes long? <laughs> I'm sure there's a cut of it somewhere that and, is. And then told told an anecdote in the middle <laughs> of it. But but the actual credits themselves, it, it it's got a lot more action shots. Right, it has yes. And we've yeah. lost the um on this episode, which which is a shame. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it, it's not terrible. It's just it's just a shame that um, it's not as good as 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 season one. Yep, I agree. So we, we begin by a, a a new thing that we get, which is a, a log entry by Dr. Russell. Yeah, and I don't think we see that again. Oh, no, she does it quite a few times in season two. Oh, does she? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm only up to the second episode in season two. Yeah, she says that it's 342 days after leaving Earth's orbit. Now, I say that because apparently when she says it in other episodes, that bigger moves around drastically. At one point, it's 1,000 and something days since they left Earth's orbit. Uh, oh, really? And then it goes backwards and forwards. All this okay, time. and you, it's, when you said it like that, it sounds like Alan Bennett. It sounds like you're going to go, 364 days since mother. <laughs> oh, I really could do with the custard cream right now. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but mother was angry. She said, you don't like custard creams, not on a Tuesday. All they had was pink wafers, and I like a bourbon myself. But then all the oxygen went out the room because we're on the moon, and then the windows crashed, and then these aliens appeared. Yeah, it was a funny day. And the neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, you just reminded me of that. So she says that they've just survived an encounter with a space warp, apparently. Oh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that would have been an interesting episode. Why would we see that one? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and that apparently they've been catapulted six light years from their previous position. Wow. Uh, no casualties, and that the population remains constant at 297. Now, that seems, so, a, that seems a lot, especially as three or four people seem to die per episode. Yeah, but there's a lot of shagging going on. Yeah, but they can't... So they come out fully formed, do they? With these babies. Yeah, oh yeah. I suppose even a baby's technically a person, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, Paul. When, when population <laughs> rates <laughs> That's increase... That's wrong. I know... <laughs> yeah, when population increase rates, they don't measure them only after a certain age. Yeah, I, I was thinking in terms of, of um, efficient crewmen, you know. Wow. Or, or when okay. crew people. Yeah. yeah. They don't serve any purpose because they're just babies, so you don't count them. Oh, well, they do. They just lay there shitting and eating, don't they? Kind of sounds similar to you, Paul. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's be honest. I go to work. Yeah, and then just do that. <laughs> <laughs> I do, actually. Three, yeah, see? Three or four times a day. Yeah. But work in between the other bits. I should I should really watch what I'm saying. People that I, that I know listen to this. Yeah, but only people of taste. <laughs> so apparently, though, um, the life support machines were um, damaged in the space warp. Mm. And that they need a rare metal called titanium to fix it. Ooh, titanium. But they pronounce it titanium sometimes. They do? Titanium. Titanium? titanium. That's a very different. That's a very different metal. <laughs> it's very pointy. Yes. 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 Doesn't Madonna wear it in uh, one of her concerts? Titanium. Yes. Yeah. Fact she did. Both times. Yes. So they send an eagle out, flying to a, a, a planet that they found on a survey mission to find titanium. So in the control room, Koenig and crew are monitoring the mission. And uh, we see that they've had the decorators in. Uh, wait, what? Oh, sorry, that means something different. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, wow. All right, okay. Uh, I got confused what you talked about for a second. <laughs> no, they've had the decorators in the control room. Oh, okay. Because everything's much smaller. Yep. And it looks much more like a, a bridge of a starship, doesn't it, really? Yes, yes. It's a lot more color. Mm-hmm. And also the uniforms have changed. Uh, everyone now seems to be wearing a nice cardigan. Yeah, and, and do you remember when we discussed, which you should because two seconds ago, about babies being born fully farmed? Yes. That actually appears to be what happens because we have characters we've never seen before. We on do. On a moon base where people can't reach. We do, we do, because we've lost um, Barry Morse's character, Victor Bergman. He's gone. Oh, yeah, he's gone. Yeah. And he seems to have been replaced by a new character um, called Tony Versec Versace. Is that his name? V Versectomy? What? Yeah. Tony. Play, played by Tony. Tony and Holt. 
Yeah, Tony, Tony the character, his real name is Tony. Did, did they name him so that they didn't confuse people because he was an new guy? I don't know, maybe. But it's weird that they just introduced people on a moon base that can't be reached by people. It is, it is. Maybe he's just, maybe he got promoted. Maybe he's been knocking around all that time, but, you know. We just never saw him before. We never before. saw him before, yeah. He's but... cleaning the bogs on a Monday, <laughs> on a Wednesday. Who's in charge of command? Which is weird because they all kind of treat him like they've known him for ages, don't they? Yeah, they do. Like Koenig treats him like he's his best friend. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe Koenig spends a lot of time in the toilets. I mean, let's be honest. If you spend a lot of time in the toilets, the guy cleaning them, he's your best friend. I wondered where you were going with that. So I'm glad you went where you did. So. Yeah. Now, we should talk about the, the, the lack of Barry Morse. Okay. There was apparently there was a, um, a scene that was filmed that explained Bergman's absence. Apparently, he died due to a faulty spacesuit. And then they cut the scene. They cut the scene, which is kind of irritating. It is irritating. I mean, I'd like some explanation as to why the guy's not there anymore. It would have been nice. Mm. I mean, why, why did they cut it for time? Or... I think they just felt, mean... oh, why bother? <laughs> probably in that tone of voice. And plus the fact probably Jerry Anderson wasn't his biggest fan either. So, mm. Mm. so the okay. eagle enters the planet's atmosphere, which appears breathable, but uh, the the landscape's littered with volcanoes, and there doesn't seem to be any life. It's quite a nice little uh, planet model, though, isn't it? Yeah, no, I like the volcanoes. The way it, it pans across. You like an eruption, don't you? I do. Yeah. 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 I've heard that. So the computer operator, who's called Picard. Ah, okay. Think he's related? Shared universe, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Oh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? He's like his great, 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 great. Well, he couldn't be because he's on the moon base and he doesn't have children. So and, no. and he dies in the episode. And he dies, yeah. Wait, what? Yes, he dies. Don't give it away. <laughs> so Picard identifies titanium on the planet. And Conan orders the eagle back to base now because they, they know what they're doing. Yeah, they've, they've found all the metal they need. Yeah. But suddenly a green glowing orb rises from the planet. The pilots try to outrun it, but it gains on them. Mm. And on the moon, Koenig orders the base to ready for attack, which means that they suddenly have huge cannons that rise out of the ground. They have been busy, haven't they, in the off-season? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and also... Uh... Koenig says, what is that thing? And a guy, without looking at anything, says, oh, it's an energy weapon of some kind. How does he know this? He's just making this shit up. <laughs> Girl looks at him and goes, oh, yeah, it could be an alien beach ball for all you know. <laughs> Maybe he's the expert on energy weapons. Or just green balls. Green balls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You've been an expert at those in your time. <laughs> No, we talked about blue balls before. I've never, I've never mentioned green balls. You've not, not yet. You will. Yeah. Okay. So Koenig orders uh, evasive action, which seems to involve the eagle <laughs> flying around in a circle for a bit, doesn't it? Uh, I, I've got which appears to be just turning left or right a bit. <laughs> very slowly as well. Yeah. <laughs> not, not very invasive. Not even much action, to be honest. <laughs> but eventually, the green light envelopes the eagle. Back on the bridge, Annette Frazier, who I assume is the wife of one of the pilots at this point. Yeah, but she's totally new to us because she's never been in the show before. No, exactly. Faints in shock. Yeah. Well, mm. As I, I've said in my notes, woman we've never seen before faints. 
Yeah, but it's the fact that she faints. It's a bit, uh, isn't it? You know, because she thinks her loved one is dead. Yeah, but it's, yeah, she faints because she... telling me. You're telling me if you died, Rachel wouldn't faint. Probably not. No. <laughs> she faints because she would a... when she saw the bill for the party. Probably. I mean, let's face it though. She faints in this because she's a woman. Is what I'm getting at. Ah, uh, okay. You know, it's it's yeah. it's not very nice, is it? No. Now this not. is the um, second scars of Dracula connection. Oh yeah, go on. So the the actress that plays um, Annette Fraser in the episode also played Tanya in Scars of Dracula, and she was also a regular in UFO. Carrot, and she was in Carry On at Your Convenience, and she was in On Her Majesty's Secret Service as well. Nice. She pretty much did every British institution possible. She did. She, Excellent. She was an all-rounder. So the light, uh, the green light, takes the eagle back to the planet. Now Koning is convinced that life must exist on the planet, but Picard tells him that the planet is an environmental hell. He's been to Wigan. <laughs> I was going to say, is that like your apartment? <laughs> yes, it's very clean and pristine. I can see. Yes, but. Picard is wrong because they receive a transmission. A big, booming Brian Blessed. Gordon's alive! Yeah, he does. It's a bit oh. like that, isn't it? Yeah. No, actually, he's a bit subdued in this episode, I think. He's actually very good in it, and it's his second appearance in the series, because he's in an episode in the first series as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's good in this. Mm-hmm. He, 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 as I say, he underplays it. He doesn't underplay it for a normal person. He underplays it for a Brian Blessed. He does. He does a, he does a half-blessed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now he says that his name is Mentor, and that he's from the planet Saigon. What do you think the special ability could be then? Needlework. That's right. Ah, knew it. They looked crafty. Um, bless his costume, makeup. What do you think? It's a little dabbed on. He looks a bit like a Christmas uh, ornament, doesn't he? I expected someone to start singing uh, Prince Charming at any moment. It is a bit like that, yeah. Yeah. So Koenig asks why their eagle was attacked as they came in peace. But Mentor points out that uh, how could he know that, especially as the eagle was armed? Ah, but it was just just collecting minerals. Mm Mm-hmm. Mentor explains that they have been uh, fooled before by invaders who uh, said that they came in peace, but that the two Eagle pilots are safe and that they're on the planet. This is news that a tossing and turning Mrs. Frazier finds uh, comforting in sickbay. She does, yeah, because uh, her, her loved one is alive. Just, just you know, captured. She's a bit of a one-note character, though, isn't she? Let's face it. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. It's not great writing, surprisingly, in season two. And this is the yeah. first episode of season two as well. We need to remind people. Yeah. yeah. So also, um, all the while Mentor is talking, behind him a lion is sitting, um, patiently listening to everything that's going on. Patiently listening. Okay. It's a patient lion. Yeah. Oh, sounds like a book. The, the patient lion. The patient lion. I'm sure I've read that to my son. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Coning and Mentor talk and come to a... Romance a, a, novel. You're always reading romance novels to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Koning and Mentor talk and come to an, uh, some sort of a compromise. They're going to have a rendezvous in space to exchange minerals and pilots. Yeah, because they don't really trust each other. And 
One, the character says, in our past history, we've been portrayed too, says the man who's never been in the show before. <laughs> is that... Which I, fo- I found odd. Is that how you're going to refer to him all the time? Yeah, yeah, the man who's never been in the show before. <laughs> you know that this guy, uh, he's, he's a, he was a well-known uh, voiceover artist for the BBC. I did not know that. Yeah, he used to announce programs in between. Uh... Oh, I see. Mm. And later at 8 p.m., the alien will betray us. <laughs> That's exactly. He's got that kind of a voice, hasn't he? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Kanu orders an eagle, um, ready and equipped with extra booster rockets, just in case they need to make a quick getaway. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's clever how he knew they might need those. Yes, it's almost like he's read it somewhere. Yeah. So on the planet, Mentor in his water-based control room. Water-based? Well, he's got a lot of water fixtures going on, hasn't he? Oh, okay. Lots of tubes with uh, coloured water floating around. Ah, I see, mm-hmm. yes. He turns to the lion and asks, what do you think of these Alphans, Mia? Oh, Maya. Maya, isn't it? it well, it, it depends Mia, who's Maya, speaking. You know, potato, potato. I think it's supposed to be Maya, but it depends who's saying it. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, we see the new character, Maya, who is a shapeshifter. Yeah. So, Maya, what do you think? Uh, uh, well, I, I don't like her. I mean, uh, what, I, what I mean is I don't like what she did to the show in that she's used every episode to just solve a problem because she just changes into an animal that suits the purpose of what they need. Oh, we're trapped under rubble. Turn into a giant man in an ape suit. Oh, we need to get through a small corner. Turn into a pigeon. You know, that's what they did every week from now on. I think she changes into every single one of those in this episode as well. I think so, yeah. Well, you might as well start as you're going to carry on, aren't you? That's true. What's weird, though, is she says that uh, Fervor taught her the art of transformation, but he doesn't use it. Yeah, nobody else seems to use it either. Right. So, so what do you do? Teach it and then forget it? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it. That it doesn't make any sense at all, does it? No. Mm. So Maya, who is mentor's daughter, we should say, says that she likes the Alphans, and uh, then she, for some reason, threatens to turn into Coning, don't she? Yes, she does. She appears in her eye and. Mm-hmm. We should say that whenever she changes into something, we always get a shot that zooms in on her eye. Yeah, and then it zooms out, and then mm. there's a jarring cut it, as they throw an animal in. I don't know. It works. It's kind of a unique way to do it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not the best I've ever seen, but it's fine. Well, you know, it's pre-morphing CGI days, isn't it? So they had to do it some way. So. It is, yeah. yeah. So Mentor chastises her by um, saying that he didn't teach her the technique of molecular transformation just for her to take the piss, basically. Yeah, yeah. But as you say, he taught it to her, but he doesn't seem to be able to do it himself. No, because it would come in handy later. It would, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Mentor talks about how his uh, life's work is um, saving the planet and that there's uh, much about it that Maya wouldn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard job, though, right? That's a really tough job. Did Who it? gave him that job? He, <laughs> he gave it to him himself, didn't he? Did he? He just decided, oh, I'm going to save the planet. But then he just tells her to run along, dear, doesn't he? Yeah, he does that a lot. Yeah. Mm. We, you can tell we're in the 70s, can't you? Yeah. 
Which is weird because the show is very progressive with the way it features different minorities in positions of control throughout the actual moon base. It is, and we never got any feeling of this in the first in the episode previously, did we? No, no. So like everyone was pretty much equal, and mm. they did the jobs, and mm-hmm. it's, it's very very diverse, especially for the seventies. But then, kind of goes downhill. I mean, we didn't have uh, crew members fainting. Did no. we before? Nope. Mm. So back on Alpha, we get a, a nice model shot of the extra boosters being fitted onto an Eagle, and I say that completely sincerely. It is a nice model shot. Okay. I did. I didn't sound sincere, did I? But I do mean. I was it. Like, and, and I say that completely sincerely. It's true. It looked really good. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So in sick bay, Frazier now recovered from her fainting spell, gets ready to return to work. Yep. And Koning, um, now dressed in his bright red, pink, luminescent jacket that Love you that you obviously want to uh, model. Yeah, just just not that color. Oh, I don't. I like, oh, I could see I, I like the jacket. No, 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 no. It wouldn't go. I, I'd like a darker blue version of it, even with the big collar and the belt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Everything just just different color. Right. Yeah. Normally, I'm the. I thought I was the. the uh, no, no, I love it. Right. It's great. All right. So he, together with um, Alan and Doctor Russell, board the Eagle along with Picard and set off for the rendezvous, while Mentor watches from the planet. So Mentor starts playing with his water features, and he launches a ship from the planet. So as the ship launches, it, uh, it's a big sort of like uh, cheese wedge-shaped ship. Yeah, it's a simple design. Mm-hmm. Works okay, though. But as it approaches the Eagle, all communication from Mentor stops, and scans show that uh, the alien ship is empty. There's no life forms. It's a double cross. <clears throat> double cross? Double cross. Oh, okay. Well, he said that he's going to meet him and exchange the pilots and give them some titanium. Why is that double cross? I guess it is. Mm. I don't know. I'm just not questioning you. I'm questioning the phrase itself. But it's not a double double cross. No. It's just single a double cross. It's a single, yeah. No, it's a double it's a cross. cross. It's a cross. Why is it double cross? The mental ship starts to magnetically pull the eagle to the planet, but Koning uses all the booster power to somehow pull away and head back to Alpha. Right. And we get some interesting G-Force effects here, don't we? I don't understand these G-Force effects. Well, Why are they occurring? They're rippling, aren't they? But why? Especially as nobody rippled when we had the massive G-Force effects when the moon was pulled away from its orbit in the previous episode. But something's pushing this. I mean, it just looks like someone's blowing wind into the face. <laughs> it looks like the uh, the bit in Moonraker when he's in the um, centrifuge. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is G-Force as well, so okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just looks odd. Mm-hmm. I think maybe because the in Moonraker he's spinning round and round, so you can see why there would be G-Force, but in this, I can't see why there would be that much G-Force, because... They're pushing, yeah. They're pushing away from something, aren't they? Yeah, that's weird. Mm. All right. So on the planet, Mentor turns his ship into a ball of light, um, and the light envelopes the eagle and takes it down into a crater onto the planet. Why didn't you just do that in the first place? Yeah, I suppose though they saw the the big ball of light, which they've already seen take out the other eagle. They they'd be a bit cautious, wouldn't they? 
would they take evasive action by slightly moving to the left? <laughs> slightly moving to the right? <laughs> because, because you know, those wires only go a certain way, don't they? That's true, mm -hmm. yeah. So inside the crater, they find a, a graveyard of spaceships, including the other Eden. That's right, yeah. And did nice, you notice that nice some look. of these models are um, models that they used in Season 1? Yes, yes, mm -hmm. I did. Yeah, nice. Well, cheap. Cheap, yes. But oh, yeah. again, though, it all looks really good. Yeah? Yeah. The planet does look very, very good. I've no problems with this at all. Mentor contacts the Eagle and pledges to explain everything when suddenly one of the pilots jumps into the shot screaming, He's lying! Yeah, he does. Only, yeah. only to be stunned into unconsciousness. Yeah. Which would make you suspicious at that point. Yeah, but but Mentor just shrugs it off and carries on talking, and Koning seems to just carry on as though nothing happened. He's like, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm always shooting that guy. The thing is, that's what you do, though, isn't it? If you, um, you know, if you if you make a cock up at work and nobody notices, you just carry on as though everything's fine, don't you? There speaks the voice of experience. It's <laughs> the unwritten rule. It's what you do. Yeah. Okay. So Koenig and the Eagle crew decide to head outside to one of the cave entrances. Right. Meanwhile, Mentor has a um, a guard place the unhappy pilot into a into a chair and they lower down <laughs> what oh, the other happy pilot is just like no. Well, he's not very happy. Aww. No, I guess now, but you just make me sad because he's a little sad. Well, he's going to be more more unhappy in a minute. Um, they put him into a chair and they lower a brain thingy over his head. A brain thingy. A brain I thingy. Hate those. And Don't blind me with science, Paul. <laughs> this is season two of Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. Nobody's yeah, blinding there's... anyone with science. No, there's no science here. You remember those heady days of Black Sun episodes in season one? I do. Oh, long gone. All gone, yeah. So they lower the brain, the brain thingy over his head and they use... Um, Mentor uses his water-based features to <laughs> scramble his... Sounds like he's at a garden centre. He looks like a garden centre to scramble his brains. It looks painful. I believe scrambling brains is. Uh, we should say Mira sees none of this, does she? Yeah, no, she's like... Uh... She's kept in the dark about all the things that her father's up to. Mm -hmm. She thinks he's a great guy, a nice guy, all-rounder, fun to be with, great at parties. Not an evil, brain-scrambling psycho. Psychopath. Yeah. Yep. Nope. None of that. So back on the moon base, they uh, can't locate the crew because of some sort of uh, scanner field. Yep. Plot point. Mm-hmm. So back on moon base, they, uh, they can't locate the crew because of some kind of scanner field. Mm -hmm. Plot point, maybe? Oh, maybe, maybe. Mm. Scanners, scanners, transporters, phasers, communicators always fail in dramatic moments. They do. So what they do is they all seem to just sit down and have a bit of a coffee. Now, this is quite indicative of where we are in the series, I think, because if you think about it, really... And we're going to get deep now. In season one, when they had a coffee, they had proper mugs. They had cups. They had real cups. Mm -hmm. Season two, we've got disposable plastic cups. Says it all, really. 
You think life's going to hell in a handbasket? Yeah, they look like the cups that come out of a, a vending machine. Ah, okay, so no one's making real coffee anymore. They're dealing with artificial coffee. I was thinking more in terms of the fact that the show's got a bit cheaper. Oh, I, I see. I was still in character and going with the narrative. You're going with the show itself. I see. It works both ways, though. It does, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tony worries that... Uh, He's a bit concerned that Mrs. Frazier could crack up at any second, and he actually uses the words crack up. Yeah, he does. He, he actually says the newlyweds, right? Mm. Crack up. Yep. Technical term. Yes. You can see why this guy's uh, advanced through the ranks, can't you, since season one? Yeah, he's just like, oh, I think you're going you're gonna to crack up. Oh, oh, you... <laughs> yeah, when he was examining a woman, he's like, oh, do you know your problem, love? you got the vapours. <laughs> oh, he's very Victorian, is he? Yeah, he is. That's why he moved oh, up. Okay, like, you know what we need? We need someone from the Victorian age. They knew how to land somebody on the moon. They did. They did. In a big uh, gun that shot a bullet. That's right. That's right. So Koenig and the crew explore the caves while uh, Maya walks into the control room where Mentor is elated that his water features are working better than ever. <laughs> That's like a personal problem. <laughs> Glad to hear your water features are working okay. But he's taking the right pills. Yes, yeah. Now, that's due to the fact that um, he's had help from one of the Alpha pilots using his brainwaves. Yeah. So Mentor just lets her believe that the Alpha pilot is helping willingly and that hopefully the others will help too. Right. Well. He's a big line ship. He is, yeah. He yeah. Is. So back in the caves, um, Koenig and his uh, merry band find um, lumps of titanium laying around. Uh, and then they stumble into a mine where zombie-like aliens of all shapes and sizes seem to be working themselves to death. Now we know what Mentor meant by welcome, says Koenig. Only slightly less camp than the way <laughs> I just <Yeah. laughs> said. Mm, now we know what he meant by welcome. I like the cut of his jib with his welcomes. I'm using, uh, you know, license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing it my way. This is how I would play Coney. That's how, that's how you... Okay. Oh! Uh, <laughs> I say. Yes. So there's a scream. Quite a big screamer, actually. Mm. And when they investigate, they find that Torrance, the brain-scrambled pilot that we saw earlier... He's working away, trance-like, in the mine. Yeah, he's like a zombie, right? He is. Suddenly, Koenig is hit by an energy beam, which knocks him back. Well, the energy beam is because he tried to touch Torrance. He did, and it hits him, and it sends him flying backwards through the air. Yeah. So a guard, wearing a very odd helmet, Mm -hmm. and not much else. Nope, just just a helmet, completely nude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's not a part. No, no, he's got very skimpy clothes on, hasn't he? Yeah. He raises a weapon, but Coney stuns him, which seems to turn him into stone for some reason. Yep, yep, turn into stone. So Mentor's image appears, demanding them to surrender. Now Picard fires his uh, weapon at the image, but the energy is turned back on him and he's vaporized. Yeah. That's the end of Picard. Oh, I knew him so well. We spent many a day together, many an episode, 
enjoyed his backstory, his front story, his left and right story. I'll miss him. What was his name again? Picard. Yeah, you had to think about it. <laughs> he had a very famous uh, future um, grandson. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, grandson's the wrong way, isn't it? I'm going backwards, aren't I? No, that's fine. Grandson, but it'd be great, right? great, 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 so on and so forth, grandson. It would be, wouldn't it? Yes. yes. Oh, there you go. So the crew make a run for it, only to be captured by the glowing green ball. Oh, you don't want to be captured by the glowing green balls. You're supposed to say it, not put them in your mouth. That You can do either. Can you? Really? No rules here, pal. No rules. So Koenig... Um, wakes up in a room to find that Mia is stirring at him in full line form again. Yeah, she's been there for like two hours. Why would she do that? Why would she be why, in line form? Why would she be in line form just to look at him? Because time flows differently when you're a lion. So like it would have been boring to be a human, but a lion, they like just sitting around doing nothing. They like cats. But surely she would realize that this would scare the living shit out of him. No, because she's never dealt with elephants before or humans. Yeah, but then how does she know what a lion is? Ooh, that's a good or question. A, or a dove. Or a dove. Or any animal, Or a, or a gorilla. Well, maybe, maybe they have gorillas, lions, and doves on their planet. Do they? Or, or did at some point. They don't now because it's full of volcanoes. She never turns into a volcano. Or a sideboard. So Mia turns back to to her sort of human form, and she says that she uh, doesn't mean Koenig any harm. After looking like a lion. Yeah, and uh, imprison him in a prison. That's right. But Connie steps forward, but is knocked back by a force field. He's in a cell. Mm. They don't mean him any harm, then. They no, just locked no, him just up. just locked him up with a force field. For his own safety. Yeah, because he's always angry. Well, he is. Yeah. He gets angrier. He does. But what <laughs> came first, Paul? The anger or the prison cell? The anger. Yeah. So as we said, Koenig is extremely angry, but Mia, she's adamant that her father means him no harm. Oh, she's adamant? I didn't know that. You know what? You said that earlier, and I could have done that joke. I, don't, I, didn't. I was expecting you to do. I didn't no, mean, no, because I, I, I wasn't going to lower myself. Oh, well, I did. I thought, I'm not going to go down that, because he, he'll lose respect for me if I go down that far. That's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, in Mentor's control room, Alan, Russell, and some other guy. What's his name? Who's the other guy that's in there with the big hair? Oh, it's with her hair. He's <laughs> how it is. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Skype broke up when I said his name. <laughs> Have been placed in the brain scrambler seats. Put them in the brain scramble seats. No, don't call them that because that kind of gives it away. Oh, yeah. Uh, put them in the comfy chairs. That's might as better. well call them that. That's it? better. Really? Don't call it brain scramble seats. Barbara Bain's got some very odd... The, seller, uh... the person selling those is like, you know what? I'm trying to sell these, these chairs. <laughs> they just start selling. I don't know what it is about these brain scrambling seats. It doesn't sell them. Maybe you should change the name, mate. Oh, you think it's the name that's putting people off? Yeah, yeah, I think it's the name. <laughs> change it to something else. Love cushions. 
fluffy bunny seeds. Anything. Not brain scrambling. No, I like I like love cushions. You like love cushions? If they call them love cushions, they would have sold more, right? Yeah, Yeah. I had a bought some. Yeah, you like a pair of love cushions? I do, especially two. Right. Um the Berber Bane's got some very odd panic acting techniques, hasn't she? Which involve? Um looking left and right and uh pushing her head back. Maybe she's following the Green Cross code, man. It is very similar. Oh, okay. So Maya brings Koenig in and Mentor tells her to uh, get lost, basically. Yeah. Bugger off. That's what he says. He does. Verbatim. But, but like Brian Blessed, bugger off! Oh, was that Brian Blessed? Yes, it was. He's right next to me, yeah. Oh, okay. So Koenig marvels at his uh, <laughs> water-based features. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely Sorry. fountain you have nice rockery exactly. over there a mentor explains that through psych- psionic power he will turn the planet back into a paradise and that he needs Alpha's help to produce that power Koenig is appalled yeah he hates a beautiful planet he does he hates the fact that the machine turns people into mindless zombies and he won't do it. Nope. But Mentor, Mentor shows him that with a flick of a switch, he could reduce Moonbase to ashes. Yeah, sets off an explosion. He does. We get lots of model shots of things blowing up. We do. Which which look very good. Always. So Conan calls him on his bluff and tells him that destroying the moon will shoot himself in the foot, basically, won't it? Because without them, he won't be able to get what he needs to fix his planet. Yes, he has to change his plan. He does. So Mentor shirt then shows him Russell and the others in the brain scrambler's <laughs> seats. TM. <laughs> the DM. TM. Trademark. Looking at Russell and Alan in the brain scramblers, Koenig relents and he... Um... <laughs> He's looking <laughs> at him in the brain scramblers? <laughs> he is, and he relents. He okay. submits, doesn't right. he? Yeah, he does. So he contacts Moonbase, telling them that all is well and that the people should begin evacuating Alpha. Yep, big poos. And um, start coming down to the planet. Tony and the others are taken aback, while Alan is uh, convinced that Koenig is selling out to save his own skin. Yeah, he's only known him for, what, 25 episodes, you know, mm-hmm. which, whatever, how long that is. Long enough for new characters to be born and grown. <laughs> and for Carter not to age, well, he's doing well. But yeah, he still suddenly thinks that uh, John is just selling out. Koenig exactly. Just, yeah. would, he, would he just really jump to such a conclusion? Yeah, you'd be like, oh. Really, you'd be like, he's up to something. It, it feels like like McCoy suddenly thinking that, that Kirk's selling out when he really is coming up with a, a clever ingenious plan to talk the computer into destroying itself. Yes, exactly. Mm. But Connie makes a point of telling Tony to implement his orders using Directive 4. You know, Directive 4, that totally harmless and everyday normal Directive 4. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, Directive 4. And Tony's like, Directive 4, isn't that what I use to get my whites whiter? (laughs) (laughs) What's Directive 4? Hold on. I was just looking for Directive 4, Directive 4. He gets his big book of directives out. Yeah, he's like, directive one, always flush, directive <laughs> two. Directive one. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the index? Come here. 
Yeah. And nobody knows what Directive 4 is except Tony. Yeah, this new guy that no one's ever seen before. Yeah. What if what if Tony was in the loo at the time? <laughs> yeah, he's going Cohen is going, um, yeah, we, we need to do, implement Directive 4 and everyone's looking at each other. Wait, and then and then he reports it to Sandra, Sandra reports this guy, and then this guy goes to Tony. Yeah, yeah, John said something about Directive Five. And he's like looking for a great Directive Five. Inject all the toilets into space. Wait, uh, why are we doing that? That seems strange, but okay. Well, it's come from the commander. It's got to be done. Yeah. Well, you can't argue. Just toilets floating in space. <laughs> Connie looks out at the planet. Yeah. Just, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> He's done Directive 5, the Burke. <laughs> ah, again. <laughs> you know, we really need to get these directives sorted out. We need to index that book properly. That's what we need to do. Yeah, that's what it is. Mm. Like, well, you mm -hmm. need to start pronouncing far correctly. You know what we need to do is stop making those stupid little printout things come out of that bloody computer. That's what we need. Yeah, and also stop making toilets that we can just fling out into space for no apparent reason. <laughs> oh, I'd love one of those at the minute. What, a oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm. That's confusing for everyone. Yeah, no it? context whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't explain it. No, Never explain. Never yeah. explain. Nope. So Russell and Alan are released from the brain scrambler, and Alan instantly goes to punch Koenig in the mush. <laughs> mush. In the mush. Yeah, yes. in the 70s term. Good. Only to be stunned by a guard. <laughs> Not amazed by him. You'd be shot by him in a stun gun. Not like, whoa, you're a hell of a guard. <laughs> In that outfit, would yeah. you be stunned? You're amazing, man. I'm not going to punch this guy. Exactly. <laughs> so, Coney tells Russell that he had to do it, that he's not going to end up like those mindless creatures in the caves. No. Do you think he's playing a role here? Or do you think he's sold out? I mean, I know you've watched it. Yeah, why are you asking me? I'm one of the... I'm playing along, playing oh, along. Okay. Oh, I don't know. It's It's so confusing. It is, isn't it? Back on Alpha, Nervous Tony. <laughs> nervous Tony is that his name? <laughs> he's like, you got you got gullible Pete. He's on uh, <laughs> communications. A nervous. You got Tony sideways tells... Sid. <laughs> he's uh, he's manning the moon base. Actually, for the first time ever in this second season, you have a control center that controls the eagles coming like air traffic control that's never been you in do. it before as well. You do. That's that's sideways, Sid. Sideways, Sid. Sideways, Sid. Yeah, uh, and okay. hang about Arthur. He's the other guy. There's two of them. <laughs> two guys. Hang about Arthur and sideways, Sid. And then you got nervous Tony. <laughs> well, nervous Tony tells everyone that Directive Four is an instruction to destroy the planet. Yeah, giving the game away. Can't use Directive Four ever again secretly. Now everybody knows it. Well done, Tony. Yeah, cat out the bastard. bag. Mm. That's why he's called nervous. Yeah. So in the cell, Alan comes around and he jumps to his feet. We've got to warn Alpha, he says, before running straight into the cell's force field. Yeah. Which knocks him onto his ass again. Alan's not the smartest tool no, in the box. It's like is watching he? a puppy. <laughs> Just running <laughs> he is to, a bit like that. Into a, a cage wall. He's like, oh, we've got to warn. Ah, bump. Like, how are you going to warn him? You're a prisoner. Did you forget that bit? 
he wasn't this dumb in the first season, was he? No, it's what living on the moon does to you. Is that what it is? All oh, right, okay. Yeah. I thought it was being Australian. Ooh, just lost us listeners that we don't have. Actually, we do. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> <laughs> I love them all. And I will, if they let me. Yeah, they won't. They won't, no. So Conan tries to help him, but Alan angrily shrugs him off. Also, doesn't this prison have a Doctor No kind of vibe? It is very 60s. Yeah, because it yeah. has that grate in the roof that casts mm-hmm. the shadows on. It's just overlit, unlike Doctor No. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not as good. Oh, no. So Tony launches eagles to attack the planet, which sends Mrs. Frazier off into another one of her fits of panic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've said it all there is to say about that, haven't we? Yeah. In their cell, Koenig paces a bit as Mentor informs him that a transporter eagle is approaching, or so he thinks. Yeah, he's been fooled. Mm. Everyone's waiting nervously. Mentor asks Mia to scan the eagle, and they discover that its real intention is to destroy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and you forgot that uh, Tony says to uh, Sandra in 10 minutes... It'll all be over. A phrase you've heard quite a few times. <laughs> Ten minutes? Yeah. So Mayo's disgusted that the humans would make such a, uh, a crazy, senseless decision to destroy everybody on the planet. Yeah, she's so oblivious. She is, yeah. So she goes running off to confront Koenig. Mm-hmm. Mentor tells Koenig that he's discovered his deception. And Koenig apologises to Russell and Alan for letting them believe that he betrayed them. Right. They're all friends again. They're all Even friends though again. I, if I was Koenig, I'd be like, what? Why did you think I would do that? You should know I was playing a game. You know, Carter, I'm starting to dislike you. Yeah, well, even the fact that um, Russell seemed That's to... That's true. Yeah, even she thought, yeah. Mind you, Alan probably thinks, what a Wally now, doesn't he? Yeah, he's like, oh... Oh. And then Koenig's like, you know, next time when I do blow up the place, I get away with it. Yeah, exactly, because they they'll think he's just playing along, won't yeah, they? Yeah, they'll be like, oh, I know what he's up to. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, nope, I'm destroying everybody. Had enough. So Koenig tries to reason with Mentor, and Maya appears, and Koenig tells her the truth about her father, his brain machine, and the mines, and he tells her to go and have a look for yourself if you don't believe me. Yeah, go on, go down there into that place you never appeared to go mm-hmm. down before. So Maya does just that, turning into a dove for some reason to explore the mine. It's always quicker by dove. I suppose you could fly, couldn't you? Yeah. Doves can, yes. So she... <laughs> all right. <laughs> so she flies around for a bit, and she sees all the suffering for herself, and she probably poops on a few miners' heads. Well, yeah, that's true. She's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're all zombies, you don't care. Mm-hmm. So Mentor destroys the eagle, telling Koenig that he's going to destroy Alpha as well, piece by piece. So Maya returns now with the knowledge of who her father really is, and she releases Koenig and his little band of uh, apostles. That's <laughs> 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 what they are, isn't it? I I guess, yeah, okay. He's, he's, a, he's like Space Jesus. Space Jesus, that was the mm-hmm. title they didn't go with. <laughs> Space Jesus, 1999. <laughs> Maybe that was one of the titles of the LPs that they released for kids. Yeah, maybe. Space Jesus. Mm. Okay. 
<laughs> You'd have loved that. I would, yeah, I'd have bought it. <laughs> so Alan heads for the Eagle while Mia and Koenig confront Mentor. And um, to the beat of some rather funky music, they begin smashing up all of Mentor's equipment. Yeah. After Koenig has said he wouldn't hurt. He does. He says, I'm not going to hurt uh, your dad. Trust me. And she says, all right, I'll help you. Yeah. And then he kicks shit out of everything. <laughs> it does. This causes explosions as Mentor begs him to stop. And downstairs, the mine collapses, killing all the workers. Yeah, that was nice, wasn't it? That was helpful. Rescue yeah, including the, uh, the the pilot that was down there as well. Yeah. So Mentor screams at Coney to get his daughter away from here as everything around begins to explode and fall apart. Yeah, and then he starts saying, like, save yourself. Like, why is he suddenly concerned about Koenig's well-being? I think he just... You know, in that you get to that point in an evening when you, your friends have come around and you're just thinking, oh, just, just, just go home. Ah, okay, yeah. You know? Yeah. He's, he's got to that stage, yeah, I think. like an hour and a half into a podcast. <laughs> that stage? Is that what you're saying? An hour and a half. I know. So Connie takes Maya out and we don't take her out. Shoots her right in the back of the head. <laughs> End of the show. Great finish. Boom. No, he takes her out of the mine and Mentor, um, Men he won't leave. Yeah, he won't leave and doesn't turn into an animal that could help him in any way whatsoever, even though he taught the shape-shifting ability to his daughter. Maybe it's that kind of knowledge that when you pass it on, you lose it. Oh, okay. Could be that. If you speak from experience... I'm not saying that whenever I've imparted knowledge, it suddenly leaves me. Oh, okay. But it's possible. All right. So even though Maya turns into an eagle at first to struggle. Don Henley. That's right. And a dog. And then a gorilla. She tries to help her father. You say gorilla. But let's be honest. Yeah, man in an ape suit. Man in an ape suit. <laughs> But there's nothing they can do, and they leave him behind, heading for their eagle. Right. And as the world falls apart, Koenig and crew, with Meyer on board, make their escape in the eagle. Yep. So later, everyone uh, watches as Moon on Moonbase Alba as Moonbase Alba. <laughs> Moonbase Alba is, is next door. It's a different Moonbase. They didn't know each other for oh. ages, and then suddenly they met up. They're like, who are you? We're from Moonbase Alpha. Oh, do you know what? I don't... Alba. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't actually even feel that drunk, but I just seem to have lost the ability to speak. <laughs> That's all right. So late... That's what the Moonbase Alphas have problems with speaking. <laughs> Later, everyone watches back on Moonbase Alpha as the eagle flies back. And Mrs. Fraser is happy that her husband is returning. Yeah. She's not, she's not fainting anymore. Nope. She's got over it. She's got over it, yeah. Yep, she's cured. We get some odd jaunty music, don't we? We do, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was doing a nice little jig to yeah, this you know. nice and bouncy yeah. so on the eagle koenig consoles a grieving maya telling her that there's a new life waiting for her on the moon base alpha if she wants it it's not a great prospect is it really not really not really and she says i'm gonna be you know the only alien amongst you mm -hmm. all and and then but he says we're all aliens really yeah doesn't he? and that's where it ends it is that is the end of the metamorph Yep. So, Colin, what do you think of Space 1999? Love the first season. Mm-hmm. And we're done. <laughs> <laughs>
I like the show. I like the uh, costumes, the props, the design. I like the stories in the first season. I'm still not the biggest fan of Martin Landau in it, though. There's something odd about him. I can't warm to him. He's n- he's mm. not like he's not charismatic. Like if he'd been a Kirk or something, or <clears throat> he's no Shatner, is no, he? No, he's not that kind of actor at all. And it's kind of odd that you like him despite that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting concept, no matter how unbelievable the idea of a moon being blasted out of orbit is. The stories in the first season are pretty good in the fact that they're very scientific in the idea. They're, they're, they're very science fiction-y in that they're very mm-hmm. hard science fiction rather than mm-hmm. soft. But then when we get to the second season, it's just Monster of the Week. It is. It, it becomes... Um your everyday work-a-day science fiction TV show, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it's Buck Rogers season two, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they make so many changes that are unexplainable. Mm. And then the scripts get a little strange, not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Is it a hit, though? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's a hit. I mean, even though the second season is not that good, I still like it. I mean, I love everything about the first season too. The look, the costumes, the sets, the effects works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, effects um, the stories at times range between, in the first season, hard sci-fi to weird psychedelia stuff isn't yeah, it, at times. Yeah. But it never feels like it dumbs down. No, no. And there's a lot where you, you actually finish it and you go, I'm not entirely sure I understood what was happening there. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the characters of Russell Koenig and Bergman, they've got a really good chemistry with one another. Yes. Which makes it a shame when we get to the second season when we lose that. Yeah. I think. There's, a, there's an element taken out of there. Yeah, I definitely think it misses Barry Mars. The second season's more reliant on action-adventure stuff and funny-looking aliens. and wouldn't That wouldn't be a bad thing at all if it wasn't for the fact that the previous season had such a higher standard, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I do think the change in the sets and the costumes all seem to make the show seem a lot smaller in some way. It looks well. cramped in the second season. It does. Season. It's weird. It looks cheaper, doesn't it? Yeah, in the first season, like, the command center, you're like, wow, that's a big set. Yeah, and it's quite cinem- cinematic yes. first season at times. Yes. But I don't hate it. I have to say, right. um, it's just not as interesting as it was before. Yeah, you, you get enjoyment from it, but you're not like yeah. thoughtful about it. I think it, if if season two had have been season one, we wouldn't have noticed at all. We'd yeah. have said, if season two had have been season one and season one had have been season two, we'd have been saying how great the show had improved in season two. Yeah, yeah. But still how great season one was mm. in its own way. But having said all that, it's as a, overall, it's a, it's a definite hit for me. It's it, it always has been. It's a great show, and uh, I love it to bits. Yeah. Right. So that's the end of uh, Space 1999. Yeah. So what are we doing next time, Colin? Well, next time we're uh, taking flight with uh, a hero from mm-hmm. the planet Krypton. It's the one and only. Yes, you've guessed it. It's the blue and red tights. It's the cape. It's the one and only Supergirl. Wait, what? Girl? Yeah, that's right. We're doing There's su- a girl? Supergirl. 
there's a super girl. There's always super girls, Paul. Super girl. All right. Yeah. That should be interesting. I'm I'm lying, of course. I own the movie. <laughs> of <course you> do. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? That'll be interesting for you, won't it? Yeah, looking forward to it. So if you'd like to suggest a film or TV show, then you can send an email to retrospection at email.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Retrospecky and on Instagram at Retrospection Podcast, all one word. And please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen. You can also hear the themes and the songs from the films and the shows review at our Spotify playlist. And finally, yes, if you'd like to help keep our old episodes online, and help new ones coming along, then you can lower our server costs by supporting us via patreon.com forward slash retrospection, and that'll keep the adverts away. Thank you to our current Patreon supporters who make sure another month goes by that Paul doesn't find himself selling body parts to a suspicious man in a seedy far-off land. Thank you for listening, and goodbye! Bye!